everybody, welcome back to Witch Fix. Today we're looking at a film which is an adaptation of a book I recently reviewed called Beautiful Creatures. This movie came out in 2013 and was a box office bomb. Um, according to Wikipedia, it received mixed reviews from critics and grossed 60.1 million worldwide against its 60 million budget, which means that it lost money after obviously everyone gets their cut from like the movie theatres get money for showing the movie and all that other stuff. So, uh, yeah, it did not do well. It's a shame because it's a pretty star-studded cast. Uh, so it's got Jeremy Irons, Viola Davis, Emmy Rossum and Emma Thompson. I don't know how Emma Thompson ended up in this movie. She seems confused as to how she got there. But it's got, like, a lot of talent on show. It's a... Uh, adaptation of a supernatural teen romance um obviously following hot on the heels of things like twilight so you would think that this would be hugely successful but apparently not uh it, to be fair it's based on a book that came out like a while earlier the book came out in 2009 so four years later the movie came out and i feel like the books didn't really make that much of a splash and i do not remember ever seeing this movie advertised like online or on posters or any of that stuff so i feel like it wasn't marketed terribly well and the book series was lesser known than its counterparts so i can see why the movie maybe didn't get that much attention and that much traction a lot of the negative or mixed reviews for the film describe it as being quite plodding and predictable and not very well paced and to be honest watching the movie I felt that because I think I said in my original review of the book that the book was quite slow it's over 500 pages long that there's a lot packed in there and yet this movie at a mere two hours long when I would say it probably took me eight to ten hours to read the entire novel feels longer somehow it feels like they could have cut at least half an hour from this movie's runtime and they probably should have because if i hadn't had a mini container of pringles to keep me occupied i probably would have fallen asleep there are some positives however namely i feel like the plot of the movie is at least cleaner and more explicitly explained and then laid to rest than the plot of the novel and i'm going to get into that i didn't go over the plot of the novel in my review of the book because i knew that i was going to be going over the plot of the movie in this review and i kind of wanted to bring up points side by side and let you know what was different and what was the same a large amount of stuff is the same so we'll just go through it quite quickly First, a little trigger warning though, uh, there is a mention of suicide in the movie and it will briefly be mentioned in the review. That's basically the only things that I could think of to trigger warn for, although do let me know if you need a trigger warning on the front or have identified like something that I should have warned for, but unfortunately didn't. The movie opens with a dream sequence, oh dear. Thankfully, I think this is like the only dream sequence we get. Which is good because the the book was full of the fucking things. But in this dream, we see um, Ethan trying to reach Lena, and we see flashes of Civil War era costumes. All will become clear later. Ethan then goes on a nighttime jog because he's a teen movie protagonist, and also this is a way to introduce us to the town of Gatlin from the novel. There are some funny moments here. He talks about how the only people who live in Gatlin are those two stupid 
to want to leave or too stuck to actually leave and he says that their movie theatre gets movies around the time they come out on DVD and the titles on the billboard are always spelled wrong and then he runs past the billboard for Interception which was quite funny it's sort of a running joke in that it occurs one other time uh, with Finale Destination 6 uh, so I appreciated that some of this light humour and quite sparky dialogue which does disappear about half an hour into the movie like they just kind of ran out of cleverness but I enjoyed it while it lasted he stops at his mum's headstone and on the headstone it says as above so below and I was like aha some sort of witchy reference but um, her role in the movie is basically the same as her role in the film in that she's a dead mum and a reason for Ethan to feel sad. Um, and she also was sort of tangentially involved with the caster community, as we'll see later on. On his run, Ethan finds a mysterious locket, uh, the ruins of Greenbriar Plantation. In the book, he finds this when he's with Lena much later on in the story, but he finds this in like the opening scene, which is fine. Let's just get it out of the way. Amma is then introduced. I love what they did with her character because I feel like without the change, Viola Davis would have been wasted. So in the novel, Amma is just like this housekeeper slash voodoo practitioner swamp witch. Unclear what her whole deal is. Uh, and it's kind of a one note character which edges into that kind of like mysterious black woman with all the answers territory. There's still a bit of that in the movie, but it is kind of fleshed out a little bit more because they've amalgamated two characters into one. So you've got Amma's character from the book and also Marion from the book, who was the librarian for both the public library and the caster library, and also Ethan's mum's best friend and confidant. Uh, so they have been amalgamated into one. So Amma is now the librarian. She also pops by the house to deliver meals to like look after Ethan and his dad. Uh, and she has like a lot more involvement in the town in like different spheres of influence so that's lovely i like that change we then see ethan pick up his best friend link uh, from his house he's in a big prayer session with his mother mrs lincoln who was played by emma thompson um we kind of keep her in the background at the start of the movie i guess so that you don't notice that she's emma thompson and therefore obviously going to be an important character but there we go she, she's there praying with her son uh, and Link mentions that she's gone a little bit weird recently since his dad died and all will be explained on that later. There's some heavy-handed exposition in the car on the way to school about how there's this new girl who's just moved to town and she's old Mason Ravenwood's niece and weird and isn't the Ravenwood family weird and all of that stuff. They call Mason Macon which may well be how you're meant to pronounce it because it's spelt like mason jar but with a c instead of an s but to, to my limey opinion that is still a s sound so i'm just going to keep calling him mason but i am saying it wrong according to the movie so we're introduced to the high school populace they're not as important in this version as in the book in the book there's a lot of antagonism towards lena which builds up quite slowly but in the film it just kind of starts at 11 and then continues to climb higher so lena arrives instantly starts antagonizing the jesus groupy local children and Ethan notices that she has a number tattooed on her hand and it is like in an actual like font like it has been printed on her hand this is something that's different to the book in the book she's just counting down to her birthday writing the number on her hand in a very emo-y 
I am doomed kind of way. In this, she appears to just have a magic tattoo that counts down to her birthday. That's at least less pretentious, so I prefer that. The kids in town go right to Lena's a devil worshipper and should be shunned, instead of just Lena's related to the weird family and should be shunned. On the way home from school that evening, afternoon, not sure, it's tipping it down with rain and Ethan nearly runs Lena over because she's standing in the middle of the road like a dumbass because her car has broken down and he offers to give her a lift. And they do some snarky, witty banter where they talk about classic literature, poetry, and how they're so much smarter than everyone else in the small town in that kind of pseudo-intellectual hipster bullshit that teenagers think makes them smart. You know, in the same note as, like, Twilight, where Bella and Edward are like, oh, we love Wuthering Heights and classical music because we're cool and different. Anywho, they have this, like, meet-cute thing in the car ride. Then Ethan goes to a different location, unclear if it's the same day, but we're told that weird lightning is hitting the same spot outside of town over and over again, and Mrs. Lincoln is leading like a prayer meeting nearby and blaming Lena and her arrival in town because it started when she got here. This isn't in the book and it's not really mentioned again in the movie, so I guess it's just to drive home the fact that Lena has like storm powers. In class, I guess the next day, Emily really steps up her campaign against Lena. Emily is this de facto popular girl, but we only see her in a couple of scenes, so it's not really worth mentioning her. But she leads this sort of weird prayer protest against Lena and her devil influence. And Lena decides to prove that she's a good girl and not a spawn of Satan by making all of the windows in the classroom explode, shredding the class to ribbons. That gets Ethan's attention. He's not stupid, he knows something's going on. This took a large chunk of the book to get here, by the way. I'm really glad we're speeding through it. So, curious about this girl with powers, Ethan heads back to the Ravenwood house on his own after school. The door opens and lets him into what I think Tim Burton would term a modernist interior. It's all very monochrome and smooth and sleek and black and white, but has a touch of the fun house about it. He sees a pair of shoes, like, just hanging out behind, like, a door or a curtain or something, realises that old man Ravenwood, the shut-in, is sort of spying on him, and, and so leaves the house. He finds Lena outside, they have a little chat about how special an individual they are and how this town doesn't appreciate them. He shows her the locket that he found, and then Mason comes out onto the porch and invites him in for tea. Lena is strongly against this, and it quickly becomes apparent why. It's because Mason's a douchebag, and I don't know why they added this bit in, because it's not in the book. But he basically sits Ethan down and is like, this town is stupid and full of idiots who only love the Bible and they have no independent thoughts, which is in the book and it's also what Ethan's been saying, so that's fine. But then he asks Ethan what he's going to do with his life and Ethan seems compelled to reel off this really depressing future for himself where he goes to a college really close to town and then comes back to work as a teacher and marries Emily the bitch and then cheats on her with her best friend and has several heart attacks and ends up being the town drunk and then hangs himself and then his body isn't found right away so it starts to rot in his horrible apartment above the bar. And Mason is obviously doing this to him and making him say these things which is weird because Mason's meant to be a character that we actually like. Odd choice. Ethan freaks out and runs away but then he comes back and he and Lena share a moment in the garden after she has been expressly forbidden to see him again 
uh, by Mason, who says that it's dangerous for her to get involved with a, a, a mortal. When he shows her the locket again outside, and they both touch it at the same time, they're treated to a weird Civil War vision of a lady called Genevieve um, running towards her burning plantation house, while a man called Ethan is shot behind her. So... That's all very scary. And then Ethan wakes up in his own bed with no knowledge as to how he got home from Ravenwood and is understandably freaked out by this. Anna is also freaked out when she sees the locket. So, you know, freak outs all round. This is all pretty similar to what happens in the book. He returns to Ravenwood and finds his car still there and then gets caught in a sort of weirdy time bubble where it's like changing from day to night and he keeps like zipping between trees and then some vines grow all over him i don't know what the fuck's going on this wasn't in the book but lena unvines him and says that basically that's a protection thing that mason has done for when he leaves the house so lena will be safe she explains that they have powers and that they're casters and that calling a caster a witch is sort of like calling a smart student a geek it's like a mildly offensive generalization She's, however, not sure what the locket did and doesn't think that it was caused by, like, a caster. So there's some mystery there. They then do some, like, more romance talking. I feel like all of these scenes could have been shorter. There's, like, an audible click where it just returns to teen romance and they spend 20 minutes just muttering to each other about Bukowski and poetry and how they want to leave this small town. Let's blow this popsicle stand, baby doll, etc. Uh, she reveals that she writes pretentious poetry quotes on her walls in magic glowing letter vision uh, again in the book she did this just with a pen i'm not sure which version is more pretentious in this case but i hate all of it mason then arrives home interrupting them so ethan leaves there's some kind of funny charming moments where she like makes some vines grow so he can climb down the side of the house and he's like oh why couldn't you make a ladder this is difficult uh, so that was kind of funny some light chuckles she says that Friday is a holiday, but after it, she would love to go to the movies with him and they can just be like normal teenagers. So that's all very lovely. We then see Amma head out into the swamp to um, go visit the graves of her ancestors and do some magic stuff. In the book, Ethan follows her at this point, so finds out a little bit more about her, but he doesn't follow her at this point. She just meets Mason in the swamp without Ethan being there. We see that she's wearing like a lot of tribal jewellery and she has like intricate patterns of like scarring on her back. Interesting details to add to the character, um, not in the book, but I didn't mind it. It was just kind of fleshing her out, creating more mystery around her. Mason and her have a little chat and they talk about a lady called Seraphine and ask if she's here, that they had a deal, but now she's breaking it and coming after Lena. So... Obviously, we're not sure what's going on, but Anna says, after consulting with uh, her ancestors and doing a little bit of future seeing, that some things cannot be avoided. They have to happen the way they have to happen. A really fast red sports car then enters town. This car contains Ridley, who is Lena's cousin. A lot of things about Ridley are different. Um, she seems to be much older than Lena in the film. She's played by Emmy Rossum, which I don't mind. Love her, great actress. Um, but she's older than Lena. In the book, she's kind of blonde and peppy and kind of like a cheerleader who constantly sucks on a lollipop and has mind control powers to like get people to do what she wants. In this, she is lollipopless, not blonde, and um, kind of a little bit more older and sophisticated. 
but basically still the same character although without um the humanizing sections that she got in the novel she's a little bit simpler as a character but she shows up she speeds uh, a cop chases her and we see her kind of i guess do something magical so his eyes go all bloodshot and it looks like he's choking and then he flips his car off the road so she's bad news bears lena and ethan go on a little date where he shows her his favorite place in the whole town the road out of it and he talks about how his mum loved the library and wasn't like everyone else in this town and he misses her and then lena drops some lore and this is where the lore drastically starts to differ from the book version so she says that the female casters in her family line have no choice in what they are claimed by when they turn 16 um because they're, they're claiming will reveal their true nature and they can't pick for themselves but the men in the family can which is different to what it was in the book in the book none of the people in their family can choose they are just claimed and we also learn that mason is himself a dark caster he is a dark person who like chose to be dark and yet he is being light for lena to protect her and that's a big change and to a certain extent makes mason a worse character because in the novel he was an incubus which meant that he was like a vampire that ate dreams not sure what to tell you so he was a dark creature but he was born that way and he had chosen to only eat dreams instead of people's blood so he was like weaker than other incubuses but he was still trying to be a good person but it was in his nature he couldn't refuse it but according to the lore of the movie because he is a male ver um, a male heir from this family line he got to choose whether he got to be light or dark and clearly he chose to be dark and must have like practiced dark magic just like ridley does in the movie before giving up i guess for lena not confirmed but obviously it puts him in that perspective where he's not like just born as this like dark creature or dark caster he chose to be evil and then he chose not to be so he does kind of mess up the lore a little bit and make mason out to be to some extent a worse character than the bad guy of the movie so i'll come back to that later we then see a church meeting being heavily orchestrated by mrs lincoln who wants lena kicked out of town and the ravenwood house presumably burned to the ground and then covered in crucifixes but mason arrives and says to people that lena is going to be going back to the high school because otherwise he is going to have some of his land in town used for a drug rehabilitation center and he might also start revealing everything that he knows about their intimate goings on then there's a cool moment where everyone else in the church disappears and it's just him and mrs lincoln except mrs lincoln is being possessed by seraphine a powerful dark caster and we soon find out lena's mother uh, so that's pretty cool in the book you don't find this out for the longest time so this kind of ruins a scene that i actually really liked from the book so i'll get to that in a minute but we do find out that she is seraphine and she is trying to turn the town against lena she's trying to do something to influence lena to make her go dark she also talks a bit to mason about how his powers are waning because he's not light no matter how much he wants to be that unless he's dark he'll you know continue to lose strength and that lena will be claimed by the curse which reveals the existence of a curse 
that no caster may love a mortal and that basically seraphine's big plan is for lena to go dark and usher in a an age of dark caster supremacy not only over the light casters but over all mortals and this is a much better motivation than her motivation in the book in the book she just wants lena to go dark because if she doesn't seraphine and all the other dark casters will die which is motivation but it isn't really the stuff that great villains are made of this is more about like controlling the entire world creating a huge change where the balance of power will swing towards evil uh, and it just is a bigger goal it makes more sense for the stakes as we see them as the movie progresses to be as high as they are ridley appears at ethan's i'm gonna say baseball basketball track practice unclear there's a lot of sport going on in the background but she goes and frenches ethan and then gets him into her car and drives to ravenwood it becomes apparent that she is controlling him he's being puppeted along unable to like move or really do anything or say anything that she doesn't want him to when they arrive at the house it's all autumnal themed for this holiday that they're having larkin is introduced he's an important character in the novel but in this just kind of a side bitch we find out that ridley was shut out after she was claimed for the dark she has glowing gold eyes but can control when these come on and off in the books dark casters can't control this they just constantly have glowing yellow eyes and have to wear like sunglasses otherwise you know people will notice so i kind of liked that more than the way it is in the film because in the film it means that they can just hide who they are and that makes one major plot point irrelevant ridley reveals the existence of a curse to lena um kind of ill-defined what this curse is but i'm guessing it's just what causes the women in the family to be claimed regardless of what their own wishes might be uh so they have kind of a standoff at the dinner table and then lena pops the table on a lazy Susan and twirls it around while squirreling off with Ridley before flinging her out of a window. So, she gone. Then there's a really interesting flashback which wasn't in the book but I really enjoyed and it's a flashback to the night of Ridley's claiming because Lena tells Ethan about it and says that Ridley ran away because she could feel that she was going to go dark and she didn't want to hurt anybody. So, we see her like running, holding a suitcase fleeing and then she's caught in this like kind of searchlight beam from the moon and completely changes she goes from being terrified to being cool and calm and very kind of satisfied with herself she just looks in control and we soon see that she is because she spots a guy across the way from where she's standing uses her power on him immediately and walks him in front of a speeding train so she was claimed and her first action was murder so it's quite a good scene it shows the change in ridley and how maybe ridley isn't a bad person but because of the curse she was made dark and now has no choice but to be evil the book is a little bit more nuanced uh, and shows a little bit more humanity to her character but this is basically all we get in the film we see ridley then whammy link so he's now under her control and lena and ethan go and see finale destination six however while they're in the movie theater they both decide to touch the locket and then experience a vision of the past again as a movie on the screen which was a cool touch and i quite enjoyed that bit 
We see in the flashback that Genevieve uh, tries to revive her sweetheart, Ethan, who has been shot. And in doing so, she uses a forbidden spell and goes dark. Like, she goes from looking like a normal lady to looking like a terrifying shadow witch with glowing gold eyes. And as soon as he comes back to life, she murders him because she has no room in her heart for love. There's just too much darkness in there. This is slightly different to the lore from the book, again, in that Genevieve uses the Book of Moons, which is a, a special magic book. She uses the spell to bring Ethan back, but only works for a few seconds. And following those few seconds, she is cursed and so is her entire family. Which is kind of a rough trade-off. I like the movie's version better, where she gets exactly what she wanted, but the price of it means that she can no longer appreciate the love that she wanted back. Uh, so I think that works a lot better in the movie. Seraphine then talks to Lena through the movie, saying that she is Lena's mother, and that Lena will go dark and it is her destiny because of who they are descended from. We're told that the curse was because... Uh, Lena's ancestor used this forbidden spell, uh, not just for the fact that she loved a mortal and used the Book of Moons, which she doesn't in this case, but she just uses a forbidden spell and that's what causes the curse. She lost her soul and her ability to love, and they need to break the curse so that Lena can control her own destiny again. So Lena is confined to Ravenwood until Halloween arrives. Now, this is a scene that I really liked in the book, and I feel like the movie kind of ruined it. In the book, Ethan is just home on Halloween, unable to see Lena and not invited to any of the cool kid parties because he has been ostracised. And for some reason, his best friend's mum turns up at his house with a plate of brownies, acting like a weird Twilight Zone pod person and asking to come in. And yet the door of his house just magically won't open for her. Every time he gets the bolt open, it closes itself. And eventually he realises something weird is going on and says, I don't want you to come in. And she acts really weird, but then leaves like she's some sort of vampire that can't come in the house unless invited. And that was genuinely creepifying. In the film, it doesn't work so well because we already know that Mrs. Lincoln is possessed by Seraphine. That's not a secret anymore, like it is in the book at that point. So we know who she is. And then when she can't come into the house, instead of that being kind of being caused by his mother's ghost, as it was in the book. It's purely because Lena has put a protective spell on the house, and then Seraphine slash Emma Thompson turns into a weird CGI vein monster that tries to push its way into the house, causing Ethan to flee. And I feel like it just lost some of the horror of that moment in the book. Ethan flees to Ravenwood, and he sees that Lena is in the middle of this, like, lightning bubble her family can't get close to her it's unclear who is causing the lightning bubble if it's to contain her or if she's using it to push people away but she's suddenly wearing a lot more black eyeliner so her soul might be in danger ethan confronts her and makes the bubble go away somehow and her grandmother is like ah the protection spell isn't what's protecting her it's ethan so she's safe as houses because ethan's here they go and see Anna, who opens up the Caster Library, where Mason has been furiously trying to find the spell that was used, this forbidden spell, in order to break the curse. Lena finds it two seconds later, because she's magic and special. They 
try and go through the Book of Moons. Lena like continues to read it, trying to find a way around the curse. We get a reading montage, but she quickly becomes disheartened and distant, thinks she's going dark, and Ethan has to talk some sense into her again with love. They make out by the now-leaving Gatlin sign, and it catches fire, and then I guess they have sex in his car at the side of the road. It's also heavily implied at this point that Mason and Ethan's mum were kind of an item. Which is weird and gross, and I don't want to think about it. Lena then reads something in the Book of Moons that makes her very distant from Ethan. She insists that he leaves the library right away, and then she breaks down to Amma and says that she's found out how to break the curse. Because the curse was started by someone trying to bring back their true love, she has to lose the thing that she truly loves. Like Someone she loves has to die to break the curse and to pay back the debt. So that's probably Ethan because this is a teen romance movie. And they've already talked about how Seraphine is her mother and how she was always told her mother was dead. And Amma told her at the time that there are many ways for someone to die, i.e. like you can forget about them or cut them out of your life, and that is a kind of death. And Lena decides to try this on Ethan. So he won't actually have to die, but she will have to just remove him from her life. So she meets up with him one last time, she makes it snow and it's all cute, and then he wakes up at home and he remembers who Lena is, but he now just thinks of her like everyone else in town does. She's just old man Ravenwood's weird niece with no friends, and, and he doesn't know anything else about her. There's then kind of a cool sermon on sacrifice at the church about how sacrifice isn't something being taken from you or something that is done to you. It's something you have to do of your own free will. You have to give something up, um, which is kind of neat and reinforces like Lena's decision, even though it is a little bit on the nose. We see um, Ridley and Link making out on a raft in an alligator-filled swamp because she's evil and dangerous. She has given him the ability to manifest a bullet in his hand, and basically she's sending him after Ethan on Seraphine's orders, because as long as Lena still remembers that she loves Ethan, they can still take him away from her and use that to make her go dark. Everyone in town prepares for a Civil War reenactment. Um, Ethan is on the side of the Confederacy, and Link will be on the side of the Union. And we see Mason spying on Ethan as he gets ready through the mirror. So Mason is not unaware of what's going on. Everything is in place now for Lena's 16th birthday, the night she will be claimed. And one of her relatives reads out a thing about how the powers of light and dark shall merge and their true nature will be defined by that of Lena. So this is the moment where her claiming will change the cycle of power. One cycle will end, a new cycle will begin, and it will be ruled by whatever alignment she takes. So, pretty big. You'd expect more than six members of her immediate family to show up for this, but whatever. Ethan and Link meet up at a ruin, and they're both bored of being in the Civil War, so they decide to shoot each other and go home and watch DVDs, which would be kind of funny and cute if Link then didn't shoot him with a real bullet, causing Ethan to, you know, fall down and die. Uh, Lena feels this and goes running to him in her like fantabulous black claiming dress. Gotta say, if her family didn't want her to go dark, why did they put so much fucking eyeliner on her? She runs to Ethan and then Ridley pops up in this giant black ball gown and is like, see, you can't trust mortals, they'll just turn on each other. Come and be evil like us. So Lena hits Link with a lightning bolt. Ouch. 
and then causes a giant storm which interrupts the rest of the Civil War reenactment. And it seems like she's gonna go dark, and quite frankly, if she needed this little provocation, she was probably already evil. But then Ethan on the ground says, Lena, stop this, and morphs back into Mason, because it's been Mason all along, y'all. He done did a Trixie. This is slightly different to what's in the book, but the outcome is the same. So in the book, Seraphine stabs Ethan, and then Lena uses the forbidden spell, which I don't think is actually a forbidden spell in the book, to resurrect him, and the price she pays for that is Mason dying. I think that the film does it better by having Mason just take Ethan's place and dying instead of him, which lifts the curse because Lena has still lost someone that she loves, so that all works fine. One thing the movie does really well is just simplifying the plot and putting it in much easier to understand terms and giving it a better ending, so this made a lot more sense to me. So they've paid the curse, and he tells her with his final breath to claim herself. The balance of power is now drastically shifted, and Ridley knows it, because she tries to run away, but Seraphine stops her, and then she tries to appeal to Lena by saying, remember that I ran away because I didn't want to hurt you, and that has to count for something. And so Lena lets her leave. Seraphine then does a terrible job of trying to talk Lena around to her side. Um, here's a hint, if you're trying to convince your child to join you in anything, don't say that you never loved them and that love isn't real. Because that'll probably turn them off you pretty quick. So she yanks Seraphine's spirit form or whatever out of Mrs. Lincoln and then destroys it. I guess Mrs. Lincoln is fine, but I don't think we see her again, so... I don't know, maybe she turned into a pigeon and flew away for all we know. Larkin then turns up. It turns out that he was the one impersonating Mason... In the book, Larkin's power is shape-shifting, so this makes sense. Um, so he was pretending to be Mason while Mason was pretending to be Ethan. In the book, Larkin is actually evil. He's on Seraphine's side and has used his shape-shifting powers to hide his evil glowing eyes. Um, and then at the end, he disappears with all the rest of the evil people. This simplifies this much better by just having him be like a little bit character who doesn't really amount to anything. Um, but it does kind of get rid of one of the more dramatic reveals at the end of the novel. We then get a cut to, you know, the next day, everything's fine. Ethan still has no idea who Lena is, so that's great. And she wishes him in a voiceover to leave town, to do what he's always wanted to do and go on his road trip across America or whatever, so that he can get out of town and be the person he wants to be. He leaves the library after saying goodbye to Amma and drives out of town with Link, intending to go to New York. And we see that Lena, while being comforted by Amma, has one gold eye and one normal eye, which is the same as how it ended at the book, because she is half good and half evil, I guess, now. That's not really what claiming yourself means, and that kind of annoyed me in the book as well, because it's like, claiming yourself means that you are answering to your own will, not that you are part good and part evil, one foot on each side of something you should be claiming yourself separately to that so didn't really get that anywho we're almost at the end of the movie ethan drives past the now leaving gatlin sign remembers how it's on fire from that one time he and lena made out stops the car gets out of the car looks back at town then the camera cuts back to whatever lena's doing just sitting in the library and then the movie ends because I guess they thought they'd get a sequel. As previously stated, they did not get a sequel because this movie was apparently not seen by anybody. Um, 
I, I guess just because it wasn't as popular a book series, as I've already said, and it wasn't really advertised that much, so... Uh, you know you get what you put in to be honest i think the movie clears up a number of things that the book was a little bit wobbly on uh, most of the lore and the ending is changed i think for the better it just really clears it up neatens it makes it more of an ending even though it kind of ends on a cliffhanger but it also kind of doesn't because you can tell ethan's going to go back to town and he remembers lena now and everything's going to be fine where it falls down i think is that it puts in more of that teen bullshit or at least the teen bullshit is not happening concurrently to more interesting stuff so occasionally we just have to stop the action and the witchy stuff of which there is precious little in order to have ethan and lena sit on the grass and talk about poetry and love and all of this other stuff that's kind of boring and which to be honest feels like scenes that could be taken from any other similar movie based on a john green book so that I didn't enjoy that much, but the cast does a really good job with what they've got. I think the story is much better in terms of the ending than it is in the book. Um, the book has more character, I think, because it has so much more inner monologue and so much more detail than the film can actually show. But in terms of the ending and the payoff of the story, the movie's better, but I wouldn't say that I would watch it again for fun because... It's a little bit long and a little bit plodding and slows down too much in some areas. So it's not really a thrill ride or like a good supernatural movie because it feels like the love story is more important than the actual action. I hope you've enjoyed this review. If you'd like to recommend any other films, books, do go ahead and do so. You can pop them in the description. No, you can't. You can pop them in the comments on the YouTube version or you can email me. I very rarely check that email, but feel free. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one. Bye!